0: News
1: Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed we do, and we've got a, well, a property-focused program for you this evening. In studio with me for the last time, before he goes off on study leave, is Justin Roe roberts What are you going to study for, Justin?
2: CFA2, Eric. I'm um, looking forward to tonight's show. They're going to miss the next two weeks a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, Redefine, Baldwin, Adapt IT, huge group. There's a lot happening, so
1: looking forward to the next hour. And lots of meat in the financial results of those companies as they came through today. Uh, we also have as our uh, guest co-host, Peter Major, who hopefully will be joining us joining us in the next little while. Sometimes our virtual studios are a bit challenging for some of our guests
2: Although although they're saying technology is taking over the world, I think there's a few more years before all of this um, comes together, Alec. But uh, excited to talk to Peter. Peter's just been in North America at some of the deepest silver mines in the whole world. And we we know that Peter Major is a mining oracle, so looking forward to some of the feedback we hear from him.
1: He certainly is. Uh, I can remember uh, in the early 1980s when Peter used to run a unit trust, uh, he was he used to achieve percentage points of between 5 and 10% above the rest of the market when you had a, a performance tables that would come out in the most transparent and meritorious competition ever he was just so far ahead of the other mining analysts or the other mining managers and of course got the eye of mark shuttleworth and ran his money for him for quite some time and now he's with emergence uh, capital yeah
2: yeah emergence investment managers uh given the commodity bull run that we've seen over 2019 into 2021 now people say we're going into a commodity super, super cycle that could last until 2023 2024 i personally would like to be invested in mr major's uh, mutual
1: funds well he and has he got? He's got them again. Has he restarted mutual fund? Be interested. to ask him. Uh, the super cycle is something that is un, is hotly disputed at the moment. Something that isn't hotly disputed is the implosion of South African's properties and particularly office accommodation. The building we're in, uh, and and now we welcome Andrew Koenig, the chief executive of Redefine, is actually owned by Redefine. Andrew it's we work here at 155 West Street it's got to be like 80 percent vacant uh, it's I know it's not like this in your whole portfolio but it is it, it when you just walk around here and you see how few people are coming into the office or in fact how little of the accommodation has been sold out you have to wonder somebody's bleeding here is it you
3: Good evening, Alec, and to all your um, your listeners tuned in. I want to show you that 155 West. You're quite right. Looks empty, but it actually is not. Two of those floors in the wing that don't uh, is not occupied by uh, WeWork. redefines actually moving into at the end of this month, Alec. So you will have us as um, fellow occupiers of that space. And um, WeWork itself is. Um, under-occupied at the moment at 155 West. And that is principally as a consequence of the, the pandemic. As you know, WeWork opened its doors at 155 West um, just prior to uh, the pandemic starting, and um, it is still slow days there for them. We are taking strain on offices. There's no doubt that offices are, from a sectoral point of view, probably one of the weaker parts of our platform at the moment. There was an oversupply of offices pre the pandemic, and we do know that the pandemic has caused a huge amount of distress around the occupation of space. We do believe it's temporary, though, um, Alec, and we do believe there's going to be a return to the office. I think the loneliness for those working from home is what's going to drive them ultimately back, along with the burnout that follows from...
1: Zoom fatigue and the like. I like like your optimism. Uh, The problem that we are seeing, and we're seeing it coming from our partners at the Wall Street Journal in the United States, which tends to be ahead of the curve, as far as we're concerned, is that, yes, the executives are all going back to the office. Jamie Dimon is saying, (laughs) JP Morgan must go there. But people... Once they've got used to working at home, working in inverted commas, uh, they tend not to want to have to go back and they're almost going to have to be forced back into the office spaces. Uh, what makes you so confident that you're going to get these premises uh, back to full occupancy?
3: Well, I do believe that the vaccination rollout will give people the confidence to be mobile once again, which will give them you know, the ability to return without the fear That the pandemic has caused, for you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, contracting uh, COVID. However, the collaboration, the connectivity, and the cohesion, Alec, is what's missing when working from home. And yes, for certain professions it may work. It doesn't work for all professions. And and we do believe that you cannot underestimate the. COVID fatigue, the burnout, the emotional loneliness that follows, and the isolation too. And yes, there are the likes of Jamie Dimon and others talking about returning to the office, but the people I interact with are all, you know, expressing similar sentiment. They are desperate to get back to the office and working in teams once again, and, and to collaborate around the table as opposed to via a Teams or a Zoom meeting.
1: You are a, it's a huge business. Uh, redefined, 75 billion rands worth of assets. What happened in the last year to the valuation of your portfolio?
3: So, Alex, the bulk of the, the, the pandemic brunt on, on values happened in the prior financial period. That was up to August. And, and that's another reason for optimism for us, in that we saw about a 10% decline in our valuations across the, the, the spectrum last year. This time round, up to end of February, which is our six-months, Uh, or first half, we've seen a 1% decline. So we're starting to see the bottoming of that downward cycle, which signals that the worst of the pandemic has been priced into asset values. And from this reset base, we believe that we're going to start seeing growth going forward.
2: Andrew, office rental reversions at 25%. We've seen Hammerson in the UK convert their office space into retail. Is Redefine looking to do something of the same here?
1: Sorry, well, just um, before you answer that, uh, that means, would you just unpack what, office, what reversions yes. mean, please?
3: Sure. So, so what, what reversions means is when leases come up for renewal, there's a renegotiation with your tenant to extend their stay with you. When, when the um, expiring rental is exceeded by the renewed rental, that's called a negative reversion, and when and the opposite applies, it's a positive reversion. Now, in a very difficult market with no newcomers to the market, we are negotiating furiously with our tenants to retain them. You'll see our tenant retention rate for the offices is well over 95%. And as a consequence, we had to lower our rentals to ensure that they remain with us and are happy to remain with us. Now, to put that into context... Roughly 20% of our uh, total leases, enforced leases, come up for renewal on an annual basis, and that would apply to that part of our portfolio. So in revenue terms, if you have a look at it, it resulted in about an 8.6% decline in our revenue overall for the office sector, which was offset by enforced lease escalations for the balance of the portfolio of 7.1%. So on a net basis, we went backwards 1.5%.
1: They must be pretty upset, the guys who had to pay 7.1% more when uh, the chaps whose leases expired could cut them by 25.
3: Well, as you know, um, Alec, a, a lease is a long-term contractual commitment. And, you know, you will get your chance to renegotiate your lease when, when your time comes for, for renewal. And um, who knows where we are in the cycle when, you know, various leases come up for renewal. It's just as at a point in time where you have this situation play out. So right now, it is a tenant's market. They are spoiled for choice. And we remain very competitive in terms of retaining our tenants, given that there is no growth at the moment in this sector.
1: But surely after this experience, you are going to battle to get anybody to enter into a long-term lease. Are you finding this when you renegotiate that guys say, look, you can you can charge me 25% less, but, hey, I don't want to have a five-year lease. I'm happy only with a year or even six months rolling.
3: Well, well, Alec, that's the thing. You know, if, if, if you want flexibility and shorter-term leases, then the um, lease or the, or the rental per square meter will be higher. It is a negotiation. Uh, every lease is different. Every property has its own peculiarities, which – drives you know the demand for the space or, or not. And as a consequence of that, we are flexible. However, there are still takers of space on a long-term basis, but, but you are quite right in that we are seeing a, a hybrid model uh, develop whereby there will be some flexible days within a working week for staff to be able to work from home. And as a consequence of that, you will find over time that you will have a fixed element of your lease, your office lease, coupled with variable space where, you know, you can vary the requirements. However, you'll get two rentals, a lower rental for a fixed long term. It escalates at a fixed escalation rate. And then for the more flexible space, a higher rate per square meter.
2: Andrew, no interim dividend, no year-end dividend um, at the back end of 2020. Is the property sector still a yield plan?
3: I would li- like to believe and suggest it is. Last year was a unique situation brought on by the pandemic. As as you know, Redefine made a decision based on solvency and liquidity requirements as set out in the Companies Act. We believe that we will be in a position this year, come year-end, once things are a lot more certain and the outlook is, is a lot clearer from a vaccination rollout point of view, that we'll be in a position to make a dividend decision that is going to result in the payment of one, I must just caution that it is subject to the solvency and liquidity test, but as we said here right now, that is not the issue for us. It's more about um, in the interim period for us to bolster our financial liquidity as well as to give us some flexibility for the, for the coming months.
1: When we have a look back at Redefine's share price before the pandemic, you were comfortable around 7 rand 50. In fact, that was down from 12 rand a, a year. Or at the peak of the property market, but seven fifty seemed okay. Uh, then you went all the way down to two rand thirty five. Now you've doubled almost from those levels at uh, just above four bucks. But is it realistic to believe that you can get back to at least the seven rand fifty levels that we saw pre-COVID,
3: Alec? We believe that um, a return to around the net asset value level is realistic. Our, our, our net asset value is just under twenty. We believe that premiums to NAV in this environment you won't see uh, very easily. But a return close to um, NAV certainly for us is where we would believe the, the, the share price should sit in, in that our NAV is reflective of value.
1: But how hard or how strong is that NAV? If I have a look around at offices nowadays, we're in Santon, the the heartland of office space, and we don't see too many cars on the road. We don't see too many people coming into offices anymore. And if those leases are expiring, as you've already said, they are doing so 25% lower than what they were previously paying. So – Surely if your lease element is down by 25%, you should get some kind of a knock to your net assets or the, the value of those properties that you have in your portfolio. How, how hard is that valuation?
3: We believe that it is a robust valuation, Alec, in that last year we took a huge knock on the value of our properties in anticipation of what you're seeing play out. We do not believe that what you see in Sandton right now is permanent, In our view, it's temporary, it's as a consequence of the pandemic, and it will um, rectify itself in a post-pandemic, in a post-vaccination rollout program, when mobility returns to the market. All of these factors have been taken into account in our valuations, as I said, mostly last year and to some extent this year
2: as well. Andrew, liquidity is an obvious constraint for you guys. Why don't you follow your peers' growth point and high prop and do an accelerated book build to raise some some cash?
3: Our view is that um, an accelerated book build is dilutive and very destructive from a value point of view for shareholders at these depressed share price levels. Our preference is to rather dispose of non-core assets at reasonable yields, which from a protection of shareholder value point of view long term, we believe is a far more prudent and cautious approach as well as in the process simplifying our asset platform
2: sorry andrew what haircuts on net asset value are you getting on those properties on those non-core properties that you're selling
3: we are selling our assets at book value
1: slightly above but not at a discount so in other words your book values are realistic Uh, just just a couple couple more questions here you say in your financials today for the six months in February that the focus at the moment is to reduce your loan to value uh, to below 40 percent now you brought that down to 44.3 percent how much more uh, how many more properties would you have to sell uh, to actually get to that target and what is the date that you anticipate reaching it by
3: so Alec we've we've um, negotiated the the sale of a number of non-core properties. Uh, locally, at they total 2.7 billion rand. Um, and I can give you a little bit of a breakdown of that in, in due course. And then further to that, we've got a student accommodation asset in Australia for 2.1 billion rand. So in total, we've got sales in progress of 4.8 billion rand. The rollout graph will, will take us into early 2022 financial year. So by this time next year, We expect to be done, whereby we will be sub 40% from an LTV point of view. We anticipate ending this financial year, which is at the end of August, at a 41-odd percent LTV. Just to come back to that 2.7 billion rand, including therein is a a 1.1 billion transaction, a 1.1 billion rand transaction in respect of our local student accommodation.
1: Okay, so we then seeing a company that's struggling at the moment uh, with the tenants who do come up for renewals. You have to renegotiate your leases much lower. Uh, your occupancies or your your um, uh, vacancies have gone up a little bit, but you've got the assets to sell to get yourselves back into into shape. Just the one question, the final question is: South Africans love Eastern Europe property. Uh, mass hold seems to be doing a pretty good job there. You guys have been fairly heavily or fairly significantly investing, not huge amounts of money, but 16% of your portfolio or 12 billion rand, which is, which is substantial in anybody's terms. What's the future of that side of the business?
3: Alec, it's very rosy compared to South Africa. If you just look at the, the macroeconomic fundamentals Poland where we are invested – it is in a far stronger position than South Africa, given that the economy there is characterised with low imbalances. Um, forecasts suggest that within a year post the pandemic, they will be back to pre-COVID levels. In South Africa, it's going to take us more than two years, I would suggest. In addition to that, if you just look at their rollout programme from a, a vaccination point of view, they're sitting at about 20% versus, our, I think it's half a percent. And also, the government has made it clear that by the end of August, they plan to have all those who are prepared to be vaccinated done.
1: Andrew Koenig is the chief executive of Redefine. Interesting interview that, uh, Justin.
2: Very interesting, Alec. I mean, we were talking off air about Redefine, and I'm not going to mimic our statements a little bit earlier. But after that, I'm a lot more confident for shareholders. I'm not personally one. But Andrew sounded very confident, and I do agree with him. I think the office space is going to come back. I'm just not sure about how long that's going to take. I think it might take a little bit longer than one expects, and I'm a little bit nervous that these negative rental reversions are going to be sticky for the time. Period.
1: yeah uh, quite often, what happens when you get a dislocation like this? people can 't see the wood from the trees, and they expect that the current is going to be the same in the future of course it isn 't there's uh, we We are creatures of habit, and people will come back to offices but Will it go back to where it was in the past? Mm, I'm not so sure. The time to have bought redefined surely was when it was below two rand a share after the collapse when COVID arrived. It's now four rand 17. It was down four and a half percent today on the set of financial results. So the market not that excited about them. But listening to Mr. Koenig, who knows, might be one to uh, to look at carefully. And if they're going to resume their dividend payments, at the year end, in other words, in six months' time, you could be getting quite a juicy yield out of it. For sure. Well, Peter Major, our guest co-host is with us tonight. Uh, Peter, the commodity cycle, your game. I was singing your praises a little earlier uh, to Justin. And happy birthday for yesterday. 66 years yeah. old, I believe. Uh, You're only now starting to hit the prime of your life, according to Warren Buffett.
4: You know, I always say I like. After 40, the birthdays aren't happy, but after 60s, they're back to being happy again because you're lucky to wake up alive after 60s. <laughs> so yeah, So I had a happy birthday yesterday. I woke up alive in Dakar. No. In, sorry, in Qatar.
1: But Peter, you still would, uh, I think, kick the butt of most people running up and down that mountain that you love so much.
4: Yeah, if I'm being chased, and I usually am, you're right. <laughs> if you chase me, I'm, I'm still pretty quick when I'm being chased. But you compete in,
1: don't you compete in some event there that you've won how many years in a row?
4: Look, the Graduate School of Business, in order to get your MBA, you have to do what they call the three peaks. And it's just a tradition. And one of my classmates and I, we broke the record back in 84. It was set by some crazy Rhodesian policeman a few years before that. So every year the school calls up. They said, hey, there's some pretty tough guys here, and they're going to take you on. So either run from them or you run with them. But uh, last year I was lucky. The weather was so bad almost nobody showed up. I think there's only four of us. And by the time we got to the first peak, there's only one guy with me. And I said, (laughs) you know what? The first time I did this 27 years ago – we finished in a tie. I think I'm going to finish in a tie, and this is going to be my last one. And that's what we did. We managed to tie. So I, I think that could be my last one for good, Alec. I don't want to die of a heart attack, and then everybody says, what was he trying to do, have a heart attack?
1: <laughs> I have a, a long-lost uh, relative, uh, and what do you call them, antecedents, people who were uh, came before you. Who, who, yeah. did, who did just that. He, was, he, was, he must have been the okay. village idiot, but they, they said to him, Can you, we bet you you can't carry that sheep up to the top of the hill. And it's well known <laughs> in our family that the guy did, and he managed it, and he died of a heart attack when he got to the top. So please don't repeat that, that, uh, that no, kind you're of an right. experience. And
4: that's how I'm starting to think now. Yeah, now I'm thinking it's not cute, it's stupid.
1: What about the, those who are calling a commodity supercycle? Is that stupid?
4: Alec, everybody called it the commodity super cycle when it took off in the new millennium, 203, 204, 205. And I I was wondering, is this a super cycle or is this a normal cycle? Because we had been falling – from 1981 through 2003, we've been falling for 22 years. So you didn't have the new capacity coming on stream, but boy, you had the demand building up. It, China, most of all, but Vietnam, Indonesia, Korea. So it, that, to me, that was a normal cycle. And I thought to say it's a super cycle. Well, yeah, maybe it's a super cycle because it, it pushed things to... All-time highs or close to all-time highs. But then when it turned down in 208, 209, I thought, yeah, that was that was fine. And then we know it bounced up a few years later. So what do you call a super cycle? I guess you call it when it's up more than it's down. And maybe we are in a new super cycle because we haven't been down very much in this millennium. We're now 21 years in this new millennium, and, and boy, these prices we're seeing now. You know, when rhodium has shattered, I, I mean, it, its highest price ever in the history of man was, I think, $10,000, $11,000 in real terms. And what is it now? 20000 you know, and, and palladium, th- these have shattered completely two standard deviations out of, of any kind of price they've hit. So I don't think anybody should go to jail for saying we're in a super cycle. They're not saying how long we're going to be in the super cycle, but I think we are, Alec. I, I don't know what else you would call this. When, when we have prices that have exceeded any kind of price we've seen in a lot of these commodities and we've been up many, many more years, probably 15, 15 years we've been up out of the last 21 years, I think we are in a super cycle.
1: So Justin is buying Sibanya. He told us a couple of weeks ago he, he bought in there. Is it, should we be following him into not just Sibanya, but commodity shares generally?
4: Look, Major has a reputation of never wanting to buy after he missed the bus and never having to buy back in after he sold out. So this is probably more personal th- th- than a real professional speaking here. And... These platinum shares have been knocking on a ceiling and whether it's a double top or a triple top. And you know what they always say when the guy knocks on the door twice, he usually leaves. And if he knocks on the third time and nobody answers, then I think he's definitely going to leave. And so Sabana cracked 70 Rand a few times. Two, maybe three times now, but it doesn't stay there. You know, Northern Platinum, 270, 275, it hit there a couple times, but now it's 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 battling to get over 240, and yet it's commodity prices that it's receiving are staying at these all-time highs. So the shares do run ahead of the actual commodity price. You know, commodity is somebody just needs it for their car, they're gonna pay any price to get it, or the manufacturer. But a share, you don't buy any share because you can't get something else. So it shows the equity holders are wary of paying prices. Even today's price is at least 10% down from the highs in all these platinum shares. So there's a message in there that the PGMs are higher than ever, but the PGMs are now 10% below their highs. So maybe it is the market loves building up on a, what do they call it, a staircase of worry. And 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 that is true. You know, when people are worried, they're not going crazy. Often the market will keep going up. It it only usually wants to go down when people no longer worry. Like they're buying houses now in America, and people are phoning in, and they're offering higher prices than what are being that they're they're, they're bidding higher prices than what the seller wants. That, to me, is more of a crazy market than what we're seeing in our commodity shares. Most of our commodity shares are anticipating some kind of pullback. Pete, you talk about commodity strength since
2: the start of the millennium. But if we go back to 2015, 2016, you're getting Kumba at 20, Implats at near the same levels. I mean, pretty much all the commodity counts
4: um, at at these cheap prices. Well, I know. That's kind of the point I'm making is – look at the prices of these commodity shares today. They're much lower than they were back in, would you say 2016, Justin, or or they're way lower. A lot of them are way lower than they were in 2008. Yet the commodity prices are higher. So yeah, why are these shares all trading at discounts? And, And hey, their P's don't look bad, their dividends are looking good. So if you're buying these, you're not overpaying for them now. People just seem to be happy selling them a lot lower than they were selling them in 2008 and even 2016. I, I don't have the graph in front of me, but I know there's been twice in this millennium when these most of our commodity shares were trading higher, much higher than they are today. So it, it, it's not a steamy, crazy equity market here. I think it's a steamy, crazy commodity price market.
1: We're going to be talking more about that, Peter. But now we're moving on to property. We've had already a discussion with Andrew Koenig about Redefine. Now it's time to talk with Steve Brooks from Baldwin Properties, chief executive of Baldwin Properties, which today released their financial results, sorry, its financial results for the year to end February. And all around, if you are going to be invested in property, It seems as though a better place to be, well, the two good places to be are in logistics, and we had uh, just in the the conversation with Equitus' CEO. And the other one is in residential or particularly the area that Borwin Properties is focusing on. And although it's a better part of the market, even it was unable to uh, offset the COVID disaster. Uh, Steve, reading through the detail in your accounts, there was – a three-month period that you lost over this period. if And as a result, your headline earnings per share were down from, call it, $0.88 cents to $0.71. Cents. If that three-month period hadn't happened, in other words, if you were allowed to continue constructing and continue uh, operating, are you confident that you would have beaten the $0.88 cents of uh, the previous financial year?
0: Yeah, thanks, guys, and thanks to all your listeners. Yeah, I'm confident that we would have beaten it. Um, I'm not a crystal ball gazer, but... You know these obstacles are put in our path, and I think we 've still achieved and our management have achieved exceptional results in a bloody difficult year i think it 's been a difficult year for everybody
1: it 's an interesting business model, and you actually break it down in a way that anybody can understand you You tell us how many apartments you sold in the past year and how many apartments you 're in the process of building, and you also tell us that you make a profit margin of twenty seven percent on the apartments that you sell, so it's quite easy to see if the number of apartments fall, then obviously your profits are going to fall. Is or is that simplistic?
0: Yeah, look, um, I'm sure that, that that sorry that is quite very simplistically because obviously. The less apartments we build, then it also affects the the margin as well, so because obviously the overheads are, are them proportionally too high, so yeah we have a minimum amount we have to achieve to we have to construct to achieve that, but we are looking at exceeding that this year if we can have a clear run it's at that where we can actually build for a full eleven months that makes a massive difference
1: and the focus that you have appears to be in absolutely the right spot of the market. What is demand like? In other words, if you were to use the economist's term of price elasticity, uh, how does that work on your side?
0: Yeah, we're very blessed. We've got a fantastic pipeline of 62,000 apartments and very geographically in the perfect spots in, in Johannesburg, Cape Town, KwaZulu-Natal and Pretoria or Tswane. So that that makes a massive difference that we're in the right, as you know, in property location, location, location. And then each project has a set amount of sales it has to achieve. So it's a very, as you said um, previously, it's a very simplistic business.
1: And this eco-loan that you've negotiated with ABSA and I see now with other banks as well, how does that all uh, work? It, it, it seems, again, um, self-explanatory in that uh, if you if you invest in a green property or a property that isn't as carbon inefficient, then you get a benefit from the banks.
0: Yeah, Alex, that was um, you know I'm a, I'm fiercely passionate about green, and I believe it's going to be a legacy that I'm going to leave behind in this world, and I'm trying to make this world a better place. So we in Baldwin, we uh, every single apartment is Edge certified. And every one of our lifestyle centers, we've done four now that are six star graded, which is an exceptionally high grading. And then I approached the IFC through the edge certification, and we were the first people in the world to come up with a concept of linking green and residential buildings to a direct for a direct financial benefit for the client. We worked exclusively, well extensively rather than exclusively with APSA. They were the first ones that um, we approached and we did a fantastic reduction in mortgage if the building is green certified. And now all the other banks are, are following suit and very soon we'll be able to announce that when a client comes and buys one of our apartments, no matter who they bank with, we can get a reduction off the best rate in mortgages. And I believe that is a fantastic benefit to a client buying a and apartment.
2: Steve, the Wed- Wedgewood project in Sampton was hyped up. Why was that development canned? You know, we've
0: we've got a fantastic risk assessment in Borwin. we've um, we've set up a, a brilliant exco committee and a transaction committee, and then off to board. And the, the bottom line is, we just felt the risk was too high for a single moment. In other words, for a building that gets built in one hit. Then we also found that the clients. We're struggling to commit to a, pro- to a product that was only delivered in two and a half years' time. So unfortunately, we analyzed the risk and we did not
1: continue. So generally speaking, uh, the, the big numbers here is that revenue was only down 7% in a COVID yep. year, which is pretty good going. Your profit margin was maintained at 27%. What is the runway looking like into the future, given that, the, the demand, as you said earlier, is, well, I suppose not insatiable, but it, it certainly is very high.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the two things that keep me awake, awake at night is the interest rates and then the political and macro environment. So if interest rates keep where they are and uh, politicians start governing this country correctly right down, which flows for us down to the municipalities, then there is a huge runway. We've got a land bank of 62,000 apartments. You know, you can do 4,000 apartments. We've got enough land for an excess of 15 years. So the future looks bright. You know, if the politicians play the game and interest rates stay where they are, then I think there is a bit of pent-up demand coming as COVID hopefully and hopefully I'm correct With this starts um, negating.
1: So it's a bet on more political or improved political governance in South Africa as much as anything else.
0: Correct. You know, Alex, they must just get on with it and do their work, do their job. You know, I mean, if they work at a municipality and the... the...
1: Peter... Uh... <laughs> We, we've, uh, we've just lost Steve there, and uh, well, I, I think we were coming to the end of the conversation anyway. Do you know much about ballwind properties as we're a long way away from mining?
4: Yeah, I don't follow them, Alec, but I'll tell you, after spending three weeks in America, I was ready to start looking for any property today when I got off the airplane here. We are really, really lagging what's going on there, and it's not just America, it's Canada, it's Europe. And it's Asia. So I wonder, our government is definitely looking better than I think it's looked in decades here. Definitely. And our interest rates are very low. And I think it's insane what these properties are doing. It is mostly residential overseas. Uh, The commercial is lagging. But residential is going insane over there. So I don't think our residences here came down nearly as much as commercial, but I don't think they've really gone up that much yet, and when I hear that Baldwin is 50% residential, uh, I don't think our government's going to get worse, not not after what I've read the last few weeks, and our interest rates, there's probably little reason they're going to go up for the next year or two. So
1: go and listen to your good friend Pitfuliun and do your homework on Baldwin Properties uh, because he's made it one of his bundles. Uh, He he talks about these bundles of sticks that he puts together in companies that have got a, a good... Uh, long-term benefit or a long-term opportunity and he's got it in the portfolio so uh, we've been following it as well they, they loved justin at easy equities they they really love the stock don't they
2: yeah Paul properties you know hot stock i mean it is a property company but with a development focus so that's where that's where it's different from your usual REIT and i must say steve brooks he's the founder the company's been around for 26 years he knows what he's doing and um, it's got a runway to to go even further
1: and it was much, much higher in the past. I'm just looking back here. It was around a thousand rand a share and it's now at 447. It's improved in the last couple of yeah. years. 10 rand, Alec, like not a thousand. That's a thousand rand a share. <laughs> 10 rand, thousand cents. 10 rand a share. Thanks, Justin. Uh, it's, it's half of that level now. So the hype is not what it was. It's only a two billion rand, two billion rand market cap, Peter. How's that with, uh, with land value to make, to build 60 odd thousand? um apartments. You can imagine what this would be worth if it was in the United States.
4: I'm surprised Pete Leon hasn't just bought the whole company.
1: <laughs> exactly, at two billion round. Uh, we will be picking up in just a moment with the story of the moment. Uh, that's the well, I don't know what you call it, the salacious expose in the Sunday Times last week about adept IT. Spoo Shabalala, who was in the studio here Uh, telling us why uh, shareholders should reject huge groups' uh, offer. We've got huge groups' chief executive, James Herbst, who's uh, pretty outspoken as well uh, in our virtual studio. James, we look forward to picking up with you in in just a moment. But first, it's uh, around 6 o'clock, a little bit after 6 o'clock, and our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, has put together this flash news briefing.
5: The two-decades-old corruption case against former South African President Jacob Zuma has been delayed yet again. His defence lawyer says Zuma will not plead guilty when the hearing into bribery allegations connected to the $2 billion arms deal finally starts. The trial of 79-year-old Zuma had been expected to begin on Monday but was delayed again after his newly appointed defence team raised concerns over the lead prosecutor. Zuma looked relaxed in court and gave the thumbs up and waved to supporters who included suspended ANC Secretary-General Ace Magashule, reports Reuters. The Democratic Alliance is calling on ESCOM to provide an urgent state-of-the-system update and explain how its load-shedding schedule will be managed to ensure that it does not affect the vaccine rollout process. The latest announcement of load-shedding from ESCOM was yet another reminder that ESCOM's current status, capacity and operational constraints remain an ever-present threat to the country's economic recovery – says the opposition party. It says it's of particular concern that load shedding will impact the rollout of vaccines that are sorely needed in the face of the continuing COVID-19 pandemic. This News' premium partner, The Wall Street Journal, reports that Microsoft board members decided that Bill Gates needed to step down from its board in 2020. This was as they pursued an investigation into the billionaire's prior romantic relationship with a female Microsoft employee. The relationship was deemed inappropriate, people familiar with the matter said. Members of the board tasked with the matter hired a law firm to conduct an investigation in late 2019 after a Microsoft engineer alleged in a letter that she'd had a sexual relationship over years with Mr. Gates. And that was your Business Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, do visit BusinessRadio.com.
1: Peter, that story of Bill Gates, my goodness. Uh, here he was. I, I did the the research the other day. Gallup runs a poll every year on the most admired people in the world. And he's been on the top 10 of that poll 21 times. In other words, for 21 years. The last year he was number eight. So you can't really get a much higher reputation. Now, Melinda no. says he spent a lot of time with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, the sex fiend, and outcomes a disclosure that he had an affair with a Microsoft employee, which was the reason why he stepped off the board of Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway. And that's from the wall street journal. So they're not making it up.
4: I don't know what to say. I am stunned. I don't say that word stunned. Go back to all your records. I don't think majors ever said that word in fact, but yeah, when I, I saw only saw that yesterday on Bloomberg's flying back. I said, these are pretty credible sources it's it It's. It's really too unbelievable. I guess in this world, nothing should be unbelievable, huh? And diff- that's the trouble. Nobody trusts government. Nobody trusts business because they say anything can be believable because anything seems to be happening.
1: Indeed it is. Well, uh, Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever matched ne- sorry, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin, how are the markets
2: The JSU all share index was up at 67,200. The highlights included redefined down four percent to $4,17 as the company released its interim results. Harmony gold up ten percent to seventy-five Rand a share as the gold spot price moves higher. And still Stillwater, up 3.5% to 66 Rand a share, as commodities across the board move higher. In the currency market, the Rand is flat against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 11 cents to the dollar, 19 Rand 92 to the sterling, and 17 Rand 14 to the euro. Gold is up at $1,864 an ounce. Brent crude is down at $68.70 a barrel. And Bitcoin is well down, trading at 624,000 Rand per coin.
1: And this market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. I can't let you go without that Bitcoin story. Just repeat the number.
2: 624,000, 30% off its highs and deep into bear market territory.
1: You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. We're going to be hearing from Andre Salier of um, Treasury One in just a little while. But here's James Herbst. Uh, I know you can't talk about all the craziness that we're reading in the media um, about your opponent in this hostile takeover bid. But what I was interested to discover the other day was that a former director of mine and a a very good friend and a very highly rated uh, analyst here in South Africa, Duarte de Silva, is your chairman. I wasn't aware of that, James. How did you manage to get him onto the huge board?
6: Good evening, Alec. Um, hopefully it's because I'm persuasive, <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, and number two, that huge group uh, represented a solid platform from from which to, to speak. So uh, I think those two factors played on, Dwart's decision to get involved.
1: Has he he been very involved as well in this hostile takeover bid for Adapt IT?
6: Dwart's chairman of our investment committee, so he is actively involved. And a a lot of the key final decision-making comes from Dwart. Uh, As a board, we certainly leverage or leverage uh, his expertise in this regard.
1: So you've got a really strong guy at your side there. I don't think they're better. Uh, when it comes to the marketplace here in South Africa. How are you rating your chances of success?
6: I think it's fair to say that if you have a look at the uh, the uh, undertakings already provided to Belarus, they've got, they've got 44% uh, of Adapt IT shareholders supporting uh, their bid. So when they go into the scheme meeting, which it appears they now uh, will go into, uh, they, they're they not far off um, the 75% hurdle rate that they need to approve that scheme. So I, I think it's fair to say they're going to pick up a large majority. I think there, there will always be opportunities to participate. But as regards uh, Valaris and control, I think they've won control. I think it's fair to say that.
1: What does it mean for you?
6: Well, I, I, I don't think... Um, uh, uh, it, I don't think it's negative or positive right now. Um, in terms of obtaining control, we won't obtain control on it um, because they've outbid us on that and we appreciate, appreciate that position. Having said that, though, there is an opportunity possibly to participate um, in, in a Belarus-backed um, takeover.
1: What do you mean by that, participate?
6: Well, I mean, our offer is open. Uh, the huge group offer is open, and uh, it, it only closes on the 17th of July. And so we may have Adapt IT shareholders that see value in huge groups proposition. And if those Adapt IT shareholders uh, accept the huge group offer, they become shareholders in huge group. And if the stay uh, the course on their offer, the Adapt IT shareholders who accept the huge offer – May find themselves indirectly shareholders of Constellation Software and Volaris, and possibly an, 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 an a significantly improved um, valuation on Adapt IT.
1: But so, why would they go that route? I, I don't just unpack that for us.
6: Well, the, the two offers that, or, or the two alternatives that uh, Volaris have presented to the Adapt IT shareholder, one is cash. At 6 Rand 50 a share, and so you cauterise your upside on, on that alternative. The other is to remain in the unlisted. So you you can elect that, and if you do, then obviously you, you are subject to the vagaries of being a small minority um, in an unlisted foreign company. The third alternative, and, and there are a number of alternatives here, the third alternative is to accept a huge group share uh, in replace for your Adapt IT shares, which then makes Adapt IT the shareholder um, of reference in Adapt IT. And on that basis, Huge Group would not accept the 6 Rand 50 cash alternative, but rather the unlisted option. And then if you have a look at the, uh, the valuation differentials of Constellation Software versus Adapt IT, um, and it's, my understanding, about a, a 55 PE to about an 8 PE, then you would get that re-rating ultimately through retaining your exposure indirectly through huge group.
1: Okay, I understand it now much better. So if you want to have a traded piece of paper, uh, you convert it into huge group equity at 6.50. And, uh, sorry, what is, your, what is the, the conversion ratio that you have?
6: So, so the current conversion is at a reference price of six thirteen, to uh, to huge group, and then
1: five fifty two to adapt RT. All right. So adapt RT at the moment is trading, well, huge group is five uh, trading at five seventy five. So it's at a discount to your uh, price that you've put there. Um, so why would people swap shares uh, at a discounted price?
6: So effectively, what you would do is you would you would get a you would get point nine of a five and seventy five huge group share. Mm-hmm. So you get something uh, at a valuation of five eighteen when it is trading in the market at six ten. So you're taking a ninety cent discount, but on on the conversion into huge and on the proviso that Valoris run the course with their offer, you'll see the uh, evaluation uplift. Okay, by being indirectly invested in a a foreign company. And if you look at the value uplift from that, that may more than compensate for that ninety cents. But it is on the provisor that Valoris stay the course.
2: James, if the independent board of Adapt IT are going to be consistent with the valuation of between seven Rand and 7A8, call the midpoint of that eight Rand O five. That's still a 25% haircut to the Valaris offer. Is it possible for them to encourage shareholders to take that when they're valuing their own company at 150 more?
6: I, I, Justin, I think it's largely irrelevant now if you have a look at the the construct of the Valaris offer. So uh, Valaris have pitched their offer in, in alternatives, and the first is a scheme. So if you have a look at the scheme, and you have a look at um, the historical voter turnout or shareholder turnout at general meetings of ADAPT-IT, and and we've had a look at voter turnout in the last seven years. On average, it's about 48%, the highest number being about 55%. So so on the assumption that, let's say, and to be generous to the equation, let's say 60% of ADAPT-IT shareholders present themselves uh, for for the scheme meeting, which would be higher than the the, the historical averages, then all the Loris requires to approve the scheme is forty five percent and they already have forty four so it doesn't take a lot to force the squeeze out okay of the minorities
1: okay and, and I, the monor- I, it's really complex and i think we we've now just switched off a lot of our listeners so let's let's leave that one side has the success or has has all the chaos that we've seen happening within RT with the management and particularly with the ceo uh, being in the newspapers and that had any impact whatsoever on your offer
6: alec uh, we're in a process um we're governed by the takeover regulations and our offer is substantively unconditional or, in other words, we don't have any conditions under our control. So our offer proceeds, and whether we like it or not, it, it, it must and will proceed.
1: So if the Canadians catch a fright and leave, uh, which is what the share price is suggesting might happen, uh, would you then, you, you, you're obliged to continue with your offer whether or not uh, you wanted to?
6: Uh, Alec, I, don't, I mean, my reading of it is that Valoris haven't um, haven't got frightened off by recent events, um, and and that's why the the earlier position to Justin is it, it talks to where where market traders at the moment. If you've got forty four of the forty five that you need, uh, Valoris don't need to do anything. It's it's a done deal, and they've come out today with Adapt IT saying saying um, that the the conditions. That, required to be, that were required to be fulfilled for the circular to be produced have been fulfilled. So our understanding is they're proceeding.
1: So it's game over for you.
6: So in terms of obtaining control of AdaptRT, IT, it is game over.
1: James Herbst, the chief executive of the huge group. Well, Jackie Cameron spoke earlier today to André Celier from Treasury One. Let's pick up on that conversation and find out whether the Rand...
5: This Currency Focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. Andre Selier is a currency strategist at Treasury One. He joins me, Jackie Cameron for BizNews, to share his insights on the RAND and what currency traders are keeping an eye on this week.
7: We have seen the RAND quite volatile. We've traded briefly below the 14 levels and then jumped up at one stage just around the 14.20. What we had last week was we had inflation figures from America that missed the targets hugely. It came out just about 4%, and that gave us an indication that purely looking at inflation, that the Federal Reserve might have to ease their quantitative program, And most probably raise interest rates in the short term much quicker than was expected. During the course of the week, obviously, the Fed came out and they said that there's not concern about that. But apart from that, on Friday, we had the retail sales figure coming out of America That also missed the target, and that was lower again than what was expected, and hence the general feeling is that the economy might not be so robust as everybody thought, and that the inflation figures that came out might be sort of once off. We have a lot of interesting figures this week out of South Africa. We have retail sales figures coming out. We have inflation figures coming out. And we also have the central bank with the monetary policy meeting. So quite a few figures. We also have figures coming out regarding the exports and imports, the volumes of exports and imports. We have the minutes of the Federal Reserve on Wednesday. That also comes out. So it would be interesting to see what was set during the last policy review of the Federal Reserve. And that's what the traders are really looking at, economic figures and what, what is happening in the Federal Reserve, because that's key to what happens in the markets. Commodity prices is also being watched closely by traders, because that's also key, and that still seems to be on the elevated side, and it's expected to remain on the elevated side for quite some time.
5: You've been listening to Andre Elia, a currency strategist at Treasury One. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. This Currency Focus was proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business.
1: And that full podcast, uh, which goes into quite a lot more detail, uh, is on biznewsradio.com. Peter, the RAND is critically important when it comes to commodities, but it also appears to be closely correlated with commodity prices. So when commodity prices goes up, the RAND strengthens. Um, today we saw those huge moves, uh, as Justin mentioned earlier, in some of the gold shares Harmony, 10%, DRD, 8%, Goldfields, 5%. That's the kind of volatility I guess one must expect.
4: Yes, and I, like, I always hear how the RAND is volatile, but I wish people would define it. It's like this word you hear, significant. I hate that word because everybody uses it. Um, barbers, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and I can't find it in any engineering book or math book. You know, Significant doesn't show up. But the RAND, I think it's been very unvolatile. Our commodity prices have been volatile and and not crazily so, but yeah, you've seen gold. I think it's added $30, $40. Well, that's two, 3%. So the fact that the RAND has only moved one, one and a half percent, I I think it's been very, very stable because people are pretty sure these commodity prices aren't coming down. So they're happy holding the RAND here. And then, One thing you see in the States other than high commodity prices and jobs wanted all over the place is how much money are they going to print this year and spend And I thought Trump was out of control, you know, creating money when he didn't need it, when he had a strong economy. Well that economy over there is on fire and and like Biden seems to be on another planet wanting to throw another 6 trillion firewood on the fire. So, I think the rand is behaving very maturely. It's yeah, it's high commodity prices and it's it's unbridled dollar spending. So for all our negatives here, it's it's justified here at 14, 14 to one, and it hasn't been volatile. Not and, in my mind.
1: And with that four uh, percent U.S. inflation, much higher than anticipated, and likely or possibly going to head higher still. Presumably, that's not bad news for commodities.
4: It's not bad news for South Africa or commodities at all, and which means not bad news for our commodity shares. And yep, is probably going to have another hit at 70, because it deserves it under this environment.
1: So should we be buying Sabanya or Harmony after 10% today?
4: I will never buy something that's moved 10% <laughs> in a day. Um, but if they come off a little bit tomorrow, Sablina is just such a great story. You know, they've got so many cylinders in that engine, and there's always a couple that aren't even firing yet. And in this environment, they can easily all fire. And Neil wants to stay around a couple more years. He wants this thing going to a V12 before he resigns. Uh, I I think if you believe this, I don't quite believe these commodity prices, but when you look at the States, they're not going to slow down. So... I'd rather buy savanna here than sell it.
1: Peter Major from Mergence and uh, Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin?
2: The JSE all share index was up at sixty-seven thousand two hundred. Highlights included redefined down four percent to four and seventeen as the company released its interim results. Harmony Gold up 10% to 75 Rand a share as the gold spot price moves even higher. And Sabanya up 3.5% to 66 Rand a share. In the currency markets, the Rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 11 cents to the dollar, 19 Rand 92 cents to the sterling, and 17 Rand 14 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,864 an ounce. Brent crude is down at $68.70 a barrel. And Bitcoin is well down, trading at $624. 4000 rand per coin
1: and in the united states the dow is off about a third of a percent the s&p about half a percent lower and the nasdaq almost one percent down so a softer day but nothing really to worry too much about this market report was made just for you by brightrock the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, it's thank you to tonight's guest market commentator, Peter Major, and to our other guests, and to all of you for joining us. Don't forget, we do have a live link to our YouTube virtual studio. So if you want to see what's happening, go onto YouTube, subscribe to BizNews News TV, and away you go. And uh, just one final little point if you are aware, Or if you have a tax problem, if you're a high earner and you want to take advantage of 12J, remember, at the 30th of June, it goes forever. You will never get this incentive again. We are doing a lot of work on it on BizNews. Go onto the biznews.com website, look on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll see a link there to the 12J companies that we're featuring. Well, that's it from our team here at BizNews. Look forward to being back in your company tomorrow, same time, same place. Until then, cheerio.